The exhortation this evening from this portion of Matthew chapter 10 is that the Lord might find each one of us to be a faithful worker. A faithful worker. Now whenever he spoke to his disciples about what it would mean to live as a Christian and to be faithful in telling others about him, Jesus knew that for very many it would be a life filled with times of trials and struggles and with many things warring against them. For many in the Western world in the last few hundred years, that often has not been the case, unless they went to other lands as missionaries, where they discovered a very different story altogether. We have known a period of unusual ease and liberty as Christians. Unusual, not normal. But as someone once sang, times they are a-changing. And in our own land, intolerance against those who stand for God's truth is growing. J.C. Ryle, over a hundred years ago, said this. The Lord knows your trials. And he's spoken these things, Matthew chapter 10, these things for your comfort. He cares for all his believing people, but for none so much as those who work for his cause and try to do good. May we seek to be of that number. Every believer may do something if he tries. There is always something for everyone to do. May we each have an eye to see it and the will to do it. Well, I want to speak under three headings this evening as we look at verses 32 to 42 of Matthew chapter 10. The first is this. Looking at verses 32 and 33, keep looking to your eternal reward. Whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who's in heaven. Now those verses, and certainly what follows in verse 33, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father, could be misunderstood as suggesting that you can become a Christian but later be disowned by Christ. I can assure you that's not what Jesus is saying here. Like we saw back in verse 22 this morning about enduring to the end, Jesus is explaining that those who are truly following after him will confess him. It's part of the response in each one of us. Because of what Christ has done for us and within us. Now we know that confessing Christ is spoken of in a number of different ways. So for example, in the well-known ninth verse of Romans chapter 10, we read these words. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So here... Paul is particularly speaking about that initial confession of Christ when we come to a saving knowledge of him. 
with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now that confession which brings us to salvation is a very personal and private thing. But it's abundantly clear in the Bible that faith in Christ is not to remain a private thing. It's to make a very big difference and it's something we are to proclaim and make known to others both in word and in deed and in our conduct and manner and so on. And surely within the context of this passage that we've been looking at, Jesus is referring here to a clear and obvious public confession of Christ which often then will result in opposition and persecution. Confessing Christ, that's the exhortation here. Falteringly, perhaps, inconsistently maybe, but confessing him nonetheless. Are you a confessor of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do people know that you're a Christian? Elsewhere in the scriptures we're told that the risen and ascended Jesus is forever before his Father's throne interceding for us. And in the light of what we've been considering today, that indeed is a glorious thought, isn't it? And what a wonderful comfort that in the midst of our trials, in the midst of all the struggles, there in heaven is Christ who knows us through and through, interceding before the Father on behalf of his people. But when it speaks here of Jesus confessing us before his Father, I'm not so sure that that's actually what is being spoken of. But rather, what Jude says at the closing of his epistle. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. When on that great and last day, Christ leads his people into glory. And there before the throne of God, because there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus, Christ is able to present his redeemed ones faultless before the throne of God. And there confess you before him. And remember that just as we saw this morning that there is promised help at all times in this verse at the close of Jude, you're encouraged to look forward to your being presented to the Father by Christ faultless. But before that, you'll be kept from stumbling in this life. You're, you're going to be a kept one in Christ. And then presented faultless. These are these great eternal truths that we hang on to as Christian people. These are the truths that keep us through the difficult days and through the dark days and through the hard days. That God has promised in Christ to keep me and one day present me, and all will be well and all will be finished. And that day is approaching. You're a year closer to it than you were last January. 
it's getting closer. The day is approaching when Christ will confess you before his Father. This redeemed and faithful one you gave me is mine, he will say to his Father, as entrance is given to you into the glories of heaven. Did you keep your eyes fixed on that? Why would you not confess him here? How can you not confess him here when this is what you have in Christ? It might cost you much to do it as Jesus is reminding his disciples in these verses but it must be done. I'm going to quote J.C. Ryle a few times this evening. Uh, if you've never read his thoughts on the Gospels, you really must. Wonderful, wonderful exposition of those words. Ryle said this, To confess Christ may bring on you laughter, mockery, scorn, but don't be laughed, mocked and scorned out of heaven. Stand firm in the things of God. Stand firm. And one of the ways you do that is you keep looking to your eternal reward. Down here, but for a moment. Secondly, we must also bear in mind the personal cost. The personal cost. And that's borne out in the words of Christ from verses 34 to 39. Now if you listen to some voices, you will be led to suppose that our goal as Christian churches is to redeem entire communities, indeed whole cities, for Christ. This is the language that some church groups use. We're going to go out there and redeem everybody. Jesus says you won't even accomplish that in your families, let alone communities, let alone cities. How many here have an extended family and every single one of them is a Christian? Any? I'll have to put my hand down. If there are some, well, what a wonderful pouring of God's grace that has been upon your family. Doesn't happen often though, does it? Many of you have hearts aching over loved ones who are outside of Christ. Many of you have parents, children, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, cousins. They're not saved. And if in your family that is not the cause of great tension and division, then thank God for it. Thank him for that particular grace. Because often that will not be the case. And then we have those remarkable words of Christ from verse 34. I haven't come to bring peace but a sword. And he speaks of the anguish and of the bitterness that can strip families apart. 
Some of you think, hang on a minute, hang on. It's only a week ago we were remembering the message of the angels to the shepherds. Glad tidings of great joy, peace and goodwill to all men. And yet, Jesus, I have not come to bring peace. How do we account for that difference? Well, let's think about it. Jesus came to reconcile sinners to God. What did we read this morning from Isaiah chapter 12? Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away. You comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. He's my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He has reconciled me to himself. Now in our sin, we bring God's anger upon ourselves. But God in Christ has turned his anger away from you. Christ having taken it for you at the cross. So that you may no longer be under condemnation. And you now are at peace with God. That's the peace that Christ came to give. That you might be at peace with God. Are you? And that you might be at peace in your own soul and conscience on account of that. And that a rag bag munch, bunch like us can actually be at peace with each other in Christ. Because of all that we share in common in him. But with the world, we find... There is enmity. I remember many years ago now hearing a man giving his testimony, speaking of how he grew up in a non-Christian home and how he was saved and how his unsaved father reacted to his conversion. His father was distraught when he became a Christian. He thought his son had disowned him. He thought his son was pouring scorn on everything his father had ever tried to show him and teach him. He believed his son was lost to him. That unsaved father, well, he was looking forward to taking his son for his first pint down at his local pub. That was in the days when that was how and when you had your first drink. <laughs> He was looking forward to taking him down to the bookmakers and explaining to him how all the odds and prices worked. That was his world. That's the world he hoped to share with his son. And the father's whole world fell apart when his son became a Christian and had to turn his back on all of those things. And despite the son's best efforts, their relationship had remained broken. The gospel does that. Many of you have been spared it. Well, you thank God for that. But for some, it's a very real thing. And it's what Jesus speaks of. Because there now, you see, there is a son and there is a father 
living in two completely different kingdoms. And when once they shared everything in common, that which they now have in common is getting less and less and less. One lives in darkness, but the other one now lives in light. For the sun, old things have passed away. All things have become new. But the father languishes in the old. And now there is division and strife and tension, just as Jesus described it. We want the Christian life to be only warm and cosy. Oh, that it was. But so often it simply is not. And Christians can be faced with hard choices when it comes to first loves and loyalties. And Jesus makes it clear in verse 37. Even family members for the Lord's people must take second place to the Lord. Your children must take second place to the Lord your God. Your parents must take second place to the Lord your God. Your wife or your husband must take second place to the Lord your God. And so for many, following Christ can come at great personal cost. How much cost are you willing to pay for Christ? And there's another aspect of personal cost which Jesus covers in the next few verses from verse 38 onwards. He who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Now this morning, those of you who are here sang this. Jesus, I my cross have taken all to leave and follow thee destitute, despised, forsaken, you from now my all shall be. Perish every fond ambition, all I've sought and hoped and known, yet how rich is my condition. God and heaven are still my own. You sang that. And then you sang this, facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know you, renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. You sang these words. We bear the torch that flaming fell from the hands of those who gave their lives, proclaiming that Jesus died and rose. Ours is the same 
commission. The same glad message ours, fired by the same ambition to thee, we yield our powers. Now, did they just happen to be the words on the screen so you sang them? Or did you mean them? Being a Christian means you're no longer your own and you no longer live for yourself. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 What things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Indeed also I've counted all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. Count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Is that your heart? You abandon everything that was the old you in order that the new you in Christ may live. Do you know anything of that? Some of you know of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Jim Elliot became famous when he and some missionary friends in the middle of the last century were martyred in Ecuador. Elizabeth Elliot, his wife, tells in her book Passion and Purity how on her first date with Jim Elliot, they went to a missionary meeting. Well, there's a thought now. Those of you young people who want to be boyfriend and girlfriend, perhaps with a view to getting married, how about going to a missionary meeting for your first date? Well, there perhaps is a mark of the spirituality of those two young people. They went to a missionary meeting for their first date. (laughs) At Moody Church in Chicago, the speaker was one of the daughters of the famous missionary to Africa, C.T. Studd. She told of his father's last hours, her father's last hours. He was lying on his bed, gazing around the little hut that was his home, looking at the few possessions that he had. I wish I had something to leave each of you, but I gave it all to Jesus long ago. Are you prepared to say that to your children or grandchildren? Counting the cost to follow Christ. Christianity that costs nothing is a complete contradiction. Here's Ryle again. People look for a degree of worldly comfort in Christ's service which they have no right to expect and not finding what they look for are tempted to give up religion in disgust. Happy is he who thoroughly understands that though Christianity holds out a crown in the end it brings also a cross along the way. Are you ready to count the cost in 2010 for Christ? And finally, we see working on Christ's behalf in the closing verses. And here's an important principle 
to remember all the time, you, in, you are indeed Christ's ambassador and representative in this world. And in every situation and circumstance you find yourself in, you are working on Christ's behalf in everything. So represent him well, wherever you find yourself, and do it faithfully. In all of your dealings with people in the church, in people at home, in the workplace, is there about you a godly integrity? Is there about you the aroma of Christ? If Jesus were standing alongside you, observing, as of course he actually is, would he be pleased? Would he be pleased at what he hears? Would he be pleased at what he sees? Would he be pleased as he looks at the thought and intent of your heart? And in gospel work, particularly as God's representatives, as Paul said, it's as if God himself is pleading through us, be reconciled to God. You may feel you cannot do much, but even a cup of water given does not go unnoticed by the Lord. One final little quote from Ryle, and then I'll put him back on the bookshelf in my sermons for a little while. He says this, The chief butler forgot Joseph when he was restored to his place, but the Lord never forgets any of his people. He will say to many who little expect it in the resurrection morning, I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. We ask ourselves as we close in what light regard in what light we regard Christ's work and Christ's cause in the world are we helpers of it or hinderers do we in any way aid the lord's prophets and righteous men do we assist his little ones do we impede his laborers or do we cheer them on these are serious questions they do well and wisely who give the cup of cold water whenever they have opportunity. And they do better still who work actively in the Lord's vineyard, working on Christ's behalf, ready to count the personal cost and looking to your eternal reward. This is the Christian life. This is gospel work. And if you need any incentive at all as to why you should bother taking these things seriously, then you need look no further than the table before which we are about to gather. You serve a saviour who loved you and suffered for you this much. And how can you consider anything to be too much that he may ask of you? Well, may the Lord help us this year to joyfully and faithfully serve the Lord together as we seek to take the good news of Christ into the world.